Can you thank this band for just this morning coming in early? They had to come in an hour earlier and sing. You were still in bed when they were rehearsing this morning and uh, wiping the sleepy seeds out of their eyes. Isn't it a great day to be alive? I said, isn't it a great day to be alive? And uh, I just love the state of Michigan this time of year. It's a great day to be alive because this last week the Lions won as well. And uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound like there are many Lions fans in here, but that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? And uh, <laughs> there's three more golf claps there for that second uh, thing. But man, that was so cool to be a part of that. So many good things are happening, and the least of which is the Lions football. God is moving. God is saving people's lives. God is healing people. The same God that was way back then is the same God now. He's moving in power. He's alive. He's the light of the world. He's called us to be the light of the world. And in this dark world, um, man, I, I just think his church is rising up and being the light. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, I'm encouraged by it. I'm encouraged by you. You bless me. I love you. And I'm so proud of you and who you are and who you're becoming. It's not just who we were and who we are. It's who we're becoming. There's so much promise and possibility in that. I'm becoming a new person. I'm changing like every week. God's doing things in my life. And I didn't know if it would get old and crusty if I'd turn up into a, a grown-up, which is abbreviated when you cram them together as a grump. And uh, grown-up, I just, I always wanted it to be fresh to me. And God's doing a fresh work in me and through you. Uh, our series is Stardust. And when a star dies, new stars are born. And the stardust that we want is a multiplication of ministry, a multiplication of disciples, a multiplication of what God is doing in our midst, and uh, to see more and better disciples being made on this planet in this time that we're alive. And uh, the theme verse that we have been using kind of just to spring off of is Philippians chapter 2, where it says, I don't want you to argue and complain anymore, church. Paul was talking to a small church in Philippi. They obviously were arguing and complaining a lot. Anybody argue and complain a lot? And he's like, no more arguing and complaining. We, we are in a crooked and corrupt generation. I want you to shine like stars in the universe as you hold forth the word of life. To shine like stars in the sky. Each one of us here lumens lit up by the illuminator who is God, to shine in this crooked and corrupt generation. That's like our heart. And the shining is beginning to happen. Not the movie, but our, our students are coming to life. Our vision for this year, three months ago, we launched is next generation. Like we're just not letting this generation fall through the crack, cracks and slip through the fingers of the church. We love them. We're going after them. The world's going after them. So we're going to go after them too. And we're just going to stop at nothing. We're going to sacrifice everything so that they can experience and encounter the real God of the scriptures, not the cheap God of Christianity and religion that we've sort of drummed up and given a facelift over the years. We want them to know the real God of the scriptures and to encounter him. And so this last week, some exciting things happened. Um, on Wednesday, uh, Brian and Lindsay Smith have started in the school at Lowell on Wednesday morning uh, an athlete huddle, it's called, and where they get together and have a Bible study. And last year, there were about 15, 17, 13 that were coming. They launched it on Wednesday, and there were over 50 kids that crammed in there at like 6 in the morning. Um, all over the floor, wall to wall. They may need to look for a different room. And, and if they're not going to come to church, the church is going to go to them. Because yes, we're just not going to sit around and curse the darkness. We're going to be the light. Amen. It's just so cool to see that happening. And I just believe that's going to grow this year. Continue to pray as we just head into the school and they make the space available to encourage kids to let them know in athletics Whatever they do, whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, they can do everything for the glory of God and play sports for the glory of God because he's given them those talents. And on Thursday night, 
Our young adult ministry gathered together and launched uh, over at the TD Oasis, Matt and Mindy's house. And uh, there was no group three months ago, none. No young adults at all. They were kind of here strewn about and uh, they have gathered together this summer and they launched with 43 young adults that came out on Thursday night, this last Thursday night. Pretty cool seeing them come together. Um, Bryson's down there choking somebody out there in the front. Um, but man, this group of students uh, have come together and young adults. And it's amazing to see what God is doing. We're back in, you know, June, there is nothing. And now 43 are coming out. They actually last Saturday went to the send down at Van Andel Arena with about 8,000 other uh, young adults and said, man, we want to be sent on mission for you, God. Put me in, coach. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to be on the front lines. Pretty awesome. And then to, tomorrow, oh no, it's tonight now. We have the launch, the kickoff of our new branded Impact Youth. It used to be ISM, now it's Impact Youth. I'm repping some merch up here, as you can see. You see a lot of people repping merch. Kids will be able to get merch tonight. That's tonight at six o'clock. And I'm believing, and I've been praying this for about six months, that at this launch, there'll be over 100 students there. And this is what's interesting. Just about four or five months ago, Altogether, we're talking about 30 students. The high school was down to like 10 students. We had four leaders. And in the last three months, Jesse has kind of come in. There's 17 brand new leaders for the youth. We don't have the students yet, but we got the leaders ready for the students now. And so that's going to be happening tonight. There's going to be food. There's going to be fun. Ryder is actually going to be going over there a couple times a month and leading the band. And it's going to be rocking. It's going to rip your face off. It's going to be high energy. It's going to be good stuff. Are you guys ready for this? I don't know if the students are here, but we're ready for God to do something tonight. We do not want to be a church that gathers on the weekends and curses the darkness. We want to be a church that gathers so that we can get our lumens together, our candle power together so we can shine the light. Our church is going to shine the light. We're going on the offensive. We're not trying to be offensive. We're going on the offensive though. This week, I was looking at a passage of scripture. We're talking about our church in the Stardust series. Last week, we talked about outreach, and Sarah did a great job just kind of saying, we want worship outside the walls. We want the church to leave the building. It's not about what's happening in here. We want to reach the forgotten people, the last, the lost, and the least that'll never make it here. And that has just been encouraging to see what God is doing. Today, I want to talk about inside the church, because the passage we're looking at, he's talking about inside the church, church people ministering to church people. And if we're going to be a bright light, we've got to learn to love each other and encourage each other and serve each other here. So that when people experience us out there and come in here, they're like something different is happening there. And it's right. It is because we've been electrocuted by God and he has lit us up for his glory. We love each other. Jesus even said in John 13, this is how the world will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. If you love each other, the world will know you're the real deal, is what Jesus said. So I was looking at a passage this week, and uh, it was Wednesday. I headed over to Ada to go to the library to do what pastors do, which is study and break the passage down and turn it into notes and three points and four poems and an illustration and a benediction, and you can go home. And on the way over in that little seven minute drive, I just sense God saying to my spirit, I don't want you to do that to this text. I don't want you to take that thing into your lab and take that frog out of the formaldehyde and stretch it out with pins and dissect that thing. I want you to go into this passage and I want you to just open up the Bible and I want you to climb into it and incarnate it and share it with the people. And I'll give you what you're going to say when you're standing up on that stage. And I told God, I'm not interested, but thank you for that suggestion. I don't like doing that. I struggle with anxiety. That's not a real great thing with anxiety. You like structure. You like to prepare. You like to know what's coming next. And God's like, no, that's not how it worked all the time in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said to the disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, when they were like, can you tell us what we're going to say when we get to the synagogue? He says, no, I'm not going to tell you what to say when you get to the synagogue. You're going to get to the synagogue and the Holy Spirit is going to teach you what you're going to say in that moment. 
And they're like, oh, we love following Jesus. He's so cool. He's so mysterious. He's so cryptic. And Jesus is like, this is the way it's going to be. I'm sending you out like sheep to the wolves. Be as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. So that's me up here this morning. As we go to three services this weekend, God's like, it's already gonna be undoing and unnerving, but I just want you to open the scriptures. The reason why I think this is important sometimes is because if pastors can get in their ivory tower over the course of a week and get there and spend 10, 20, 30 hours, whatever a pastor you know, spends and then prepares a message and presents the message, everyone can be like, that's awesome, but I could never do that. I want to read through the scriptures and let you know that the scriptures are powerful in and of themselves, even without my commentary, that they're powerful. You can read this book. Back in the day, before the Reformation, nobody could read this book. They had to go to the pompous, they, uh, the pontiff. They had to go to the papacy. They had to go to the father, to the priest. And I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. Nobody has to pontificate this to you anymore. You can actually open this book, read through line by line, and say, I wonder what that line could mean for me today. That's all I'm going to do today. And then whatever commentary I add to it, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm very eager to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> so I'm here with you as not just the, the one who's giving it, but the one who's going to be listening to myself. I love this verse. Chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to read through verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 6. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you have hoped for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to in imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This passage of scripture I was sharing last night was in my bathroom growing up when I was a little kid on the wall right in front of the throne. So as you sit on the ivory throne and you're looking up, there was this plaque and it was just chapter 6, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him by helping his people and continuing to help them. It, it drove my parents to be faithful to the end as they served people and loved God by serving people. I hope you don't get tired of me talking about my parents um, because I am who I am because of them. And the older I get, the more that I see myself just living out attributes and characteristics that they had. They loved people. And they loved the church. My parents were the kind that they would wake up early in the morning and they would drive our van around and pick up people that didn't have rides to bring them to church. My dad would take our 15-passenger big old Chevy van with the wood panel siding. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it had like this, you know, V8 engine uh, that had bored out, you know, pistons. And I'm not going to go any further maybe even glass packs, whatever those are on this thing. But it was like loud and proud and it was a stick shift. And my dad would go out and he would pick up people that couldn't get to church, the town prostitute, the homeless people, the people that had no rides, nobody that loved them, the outcasts, the downtrodden, the rejects. And then they would bring them in, and then my dad would have to lead music on the weekends. And the church I was in, they were song leaders. And he'd wave his hand like this and do all these things. And my mom would be playing over at the piano or the organ, and my dad would be doing his thing, mom doing her thing. And then if us kids were in the third row and doing something, she'd be like... <laughs> and then after, the, you know... The singing was over. There was junior church. Anybody grow up in a church with that where all the kids got up and left? My mom would then go teach junior church. 
And then they'd stay after, and we'd stay until all the people were gone, except Frank Stock, who locked the building, who I remember his hands were like gigantic, like Shrek hands with sausage fingers and just huge. And he was there with us, and we would leave. When I was a kid, I loved it because I would be running around. But the older I got, I was like, can we just go home? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Your wife stays here way late and you just want to go home and she just like tarries out there in the lobby forever and ever and ever. This was my parents and we'd be there until the doors were closed and all the people were gone. And I remember this one time I said to my dad, dad, can we just go home? Why are we always the ones that are here late? And he said, well, the Holdridges have a heart for God's house. I've never forgotten that. A heart for the house. We love people. We're here for people. And as long as the people are here, we're going to stay here until there are no more people because we're about people. I remember a song growing up, God loves people more than anything. I just want to build a house where there's that kind of heart for this house, in this room. That we love God by helping people here. I just, Dan Campo was saying at the end of the game, we're built for this stuff. He used a different word, but we're built for this. We're built for this. And I love that language because I'm kind of a competitive guy and a coach and I want to build sort of a church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. There's a church being built, but things don't get built by accident. It's not accidental and it's not automatic. People have to show up and you got to build a culture. You got to build the vision. You got to build the dream out or just stays this figment of our imagination. It's like we're building something here. It's like we can't keep saying, well, I didn't sign up for this. Well, it's like we got to say we're built for this. We love this. I love in this text, though, that he starts with a theology of who God is and his character that drives them and motivates them to be the kind of people that they were. In the midst of persecution of Nero, the Jewish people or the Hebrews who he's writing to, they were going through tribulation and, and oppression and opposition and persecution. And he said, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to give up. And I want you to know that God, he's not unjust and he won't forget what you're doing and your work. I have to believe that's my God. Because there are people that are very unjust in this world. And it's pretty unfair out there. And it feels like sometimes you do all this stuff and you do it tirelessly and thanklessly and nobody saw and nobody circled around to follow up and nobody cares and it doesn't feel like you're making any difference and God's like, you need to know your belief in me has to be rooted in my faithfulness that I'm not unjust. I was reading an article but how many people are leaving the church and how many people have a certain vision of God and they said the God that most people believe in is aloof, cruel, uncaring, demanding, and selfish. If you believe that God is just a selfish being, this demanding being that's never appeased, never pleased, never satisfied with you. He, enough's never enough. Uh, he's not just. He's always cruel. He's just this, this big oppressive person in the sky that's looking down on me. I can never do enough. He doesn't even see it. And God's like, no, I see, I know, I care. Now let that motivate you and nobody else does around you and be faithful in the shadows. We're in a world that if we don't get rewarded immediately for what we do, we stop doing it. Everybody will start some novel thing really quick as long as they're getting kudos and attaboys and likes and all this stuff. We're so addicted to the dopamine hit of people's approval that the minute it starts to fade and, and, and people aren't remembering anymore, we stop doing the right thing and we try to do the next shiny thing in order to get people to pay attention to us. God's like, you don't need people's attention. You don't need their affirmation. You don't need their approval. You need mine and I approve approve of you. I affirm you. I see it. I know it. I care about it. And I'm proud of you. Now let that keep motivating you to serve. 
God is not unjust. He won't forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people. I love that, that, that you cannot pull apart your love for God and your love for people. Some of you would say here, oh, I love God. I just can't stand people. I love God. I just don't like being around people. People drive me nuts. And God's like, you can't do that. If you want to know how you can love God, help his people. Amen. He's like, oh, I love you, God. I love you. I adore you. Do you adore people? Uh, no, I can't stand people. I actually try to show up church late and leave a little bit early because I try to stay away from people. No, no, no. He says, if you want to show me love, and the word show there is to demonstrate or prove by your actions you love me, then you'll help my people. In fact, Peter, when he was reinstated, Jesus came to him after he had kind of departed from Jesus and rejected Jesus. He came back. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. And get, what did he say? Then feed my sheep. Don't feed your face. That's a consumer. If you love the Lord, it's not about you feeding you. It's about you feeding other people and caring for other people. The word here for helping people is the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon where we serve, the word literally means to wait on tables or to tend the sick. So if you love me, it's like, can I help you? Can I help you? Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. You've got, this is, there's a white thing. Can I help you? What do you need? Can I help you? This is what a diakonos does. This is a helper of people. And to tend the sick is to be right by their bed and saying, do you need anything? What's going on? Is there anything I can do to soothe the pain that you're in? This is love for God. This is the great commandment. The great commandment, one commandment broken into two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot say, I love God and hate your neighbor. You cannot say, I worship God and not want to help and assist and minister to people. He doesn't afford us that option. You cannot divorce these things apart from each other. They're inextricably bound. So when we come to church... We don't come to church just so Christ can be worshiped. We come to church so that people can be helped. What did Jesus say in the Olivet Discourse? Like, if, if you really love me and you notice me, then you'll minister to the least of these. And what you did to them, you did unto me. I had somebody come up to me a couple weeks ago and they saw that I was with someone that was a really difficult person. Do you know difficult people? The, the ones that just want to talk, 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 and every time you talk, they aren't listening to what you're saying, and they're talking about nonsense, and they're, they're probably mentally a little bit, you know, uh, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and they're a little bit off, and they don't have any self-awareness, and they just drain you when you're with them. And the person came to me and was like, I don't know how you can just sit there and look at them and pay attention to them and not be distracted away from them. How do you do that? I could never do that. And I just told them, here's my, my life hack is I see Jesus when I look at them. And for me to take my eyes off of them while they're sharing something that may not be special or all that important to me or exciting to me, that's Jesus. He's the least of these. And what you do for them, you've done unto me. He says this over and over again. If you want to show love to me, then help my people. Worship was great today. If the affection of our hearts gets to the heart of God, it cannot just be loud singing where we feel good and that kind of inspired us for the day. Did we help anybody today? Then we had church. Did you say hi to anybody today? Did you go up to anybody looking around? Did you meet anyone today? Did you stick around? Did you come early? It's got to be about the pe people if it's going to be about Jesus. Amen. You cannot pull them apart. I like to say it this way. like I have to love Pete for God's sake, and I have to love God for Pete's sake. That's the great commandment. So for the love of God and the love of Pete, be the church. It goes on and says this, as you've helped his people and continue to help him. That's a killer for me. I was thinking about that word continuing. I am really good at helping people. I really struggle to keep helping them. 
Most of the time we don't help somebody because we're afraid that then they'll think that they can keep asking us for help. And here's the, here's the newsflash, they will. They will. Well, then that's why I don't do it in the first place because I don't want to set some expectation that I'm going to be at their beck and call. I'm not answering the phone one time. If I answer it one time, I'm going to have to answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking to your actual fleshly part of who you are. And all of you are looking at me like nice, fine, beautiful religious people. But if the humans in this room know what I'm talking about, you know how to manage people so well that you don't want to give them the impression that if I do it once, I'm going to have to do it again. So you don't do anything. And God's like, no, the kind of people in the church that I'm building that the gates of hell won't prevail against is they help people and they continue helping them and they continue helping them. This last few years have been brutal. Man, when we came into COVID, it was like the dross and, and the gold was separated and the chaff and the wheat and the sheep and the goats and all these biblical terms, man. You just got to see people fleeing, man. People were ghosting me. People left our church and didn't even say goodbye that had been here for 10 and 12 and 14 years. I don't know where they went. Everybody just scattered like cockroaches all over the place. And it was a weird time to be alive. Am I right? This happened in your friendships and in your families. You had no idea why they didn't, they stopped calling you and they stopped showing up and they stopped returning your calls and they just left. They were gone. And I just remember this relational insecurity inside of me. And I think God was really working on me in a big way saying people are unjust and people will forget, but I won't. Are you tied to me for your lifeblood and your nourishment? But I remember having this one friend and we had to make a decision and the decision was something I disagreed with, but I had to make that decision because it was the right decision, but I just hated the decision. That was a weird time where as a leader, you were deciding to do something that you didn't agree with, but was probably the best decision. And I remember he said he hated the decision that uh, I made. And I just felt really just like, man, that's just heavy. And all of a sudden, I got a text the next morning. And in the text, he said, these words, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. What can I do to help? Amen. Disagreed with me. Hated the decision. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. I'm right by your side. You know how important it is to be a person. And we'll talk about diligence and patience and faithfulness just in a second. But the kind of person that just because something happens that ruffles your feathers or doesn't necessarily line up with your ideology or your politics or your worldview or your take on things or what you would do if you were in my shoes or I was in your shoes, to know how to be a body that says, I'm gonna continue. The continuation, the staying power, the stamina of people, I respect that the older I get. With all the flash-in-the-pan, fly-by-night people that come when it's novel and when everything's really great, what happens when puke hits the fan? Who sticks around then and says, I'm not necessarily in agreement, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. Uh, over COVID, and even before that, uh, Jeff Mannion at Ada Bible. Anybody know Jeff Mannion? Um, probably half of you used to go to that church. Um, <laughs> He kind of took me under his wing, Brady Nemers under his wing, wing, and we were behind his house at the fire pit, and uh, we were talking, uh, I think in 2020, he was just encouraging us, and I, I remember one thing that he said, and it seems so simple to me, but he said, you know, one of the most important things a pastor can say to his congregation at the end of the message after he prays is this, and I'm like, oh, wow, how profound this is going to be, you know? He said, I'll see you next week. Most profound thing a pastor can say to his conversation is, I'll see you next week. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here. If you come to this house, I'll be at this house. I'll be right here. I'm not going anywhere. 
in a world where we have abandonment complexes and where people are coming and going and you don't know what to, how to trust your heart to people that aren't trustworthy, to be someone who says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to help you even when it's been hard. In the last two decades I've been here, there are certain times I just want to say out loud that, oh, the Lord has called me to another work and throw God under the bus, and the Holy Spirit has told me, no, guess what it is, my human spirit not wanting to do a hard thing. And a lot of pastors leave churches when the going gets hard, or they use up all their favorite messages, and they don't want to dig deeper into the Bible. And so they go to another place that loves them in a honeymoon period that thinks they're all that in a bag of chips, and then they leave and go somewhere else to stay and say, I'm going to be here when it's good, when it's ordinary, when it's not so good, when it's bad, when we're flying high. I want to keep helping people. Are you with me? You know the people that have God's brought to your mind right now, man. Oh, man. i got to swing back around to them. To continue to help them, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. Now he's kind of getting into the character of the kind of people that he talked about early on. I love that he said, each of you. It's easy for me this morning to talk to all of you. But in in some weird way, by God's spirit, I'm talking to each of you today. And I think sometimes you come in here and don't think I can actually see each of you. You think my eyes see all of you, and I see each of you. I see that you just rubbed your nose and your face itched, and I see you kind of chuckling and being next to your sexy hunk of a husband. I see all of that. Can you please stand up? Because this guy right here, man, this guy right here, stand up here. How old are you, brother? 59. How many 59-year-olds look like this stud right here? What? Yeah, that? yeah. Hey, this, is, this is what happens when I don't have notes. Your hair. Yes, you can. Okay. You look like a dude from Peaky Blinders. Okay. <laughs> he said I look like a dude from Peaky Blinders. Oh, man. I, I see each person in the room. I see the ones that are sleeping this morning, and I know it's early, and I have much grace for you. Grace, peace. Be warmed and filled. I see you. I see you stretching. I... I see each of you in a church. We cannot get lost in the collective and think, oh, we're part of the congregation. You are a member in a body, and every member matters. Every body counts. There's a body count in this room, and he knows everybody. He's talking to each of us today, not just all of us. He's talking to everyone, and he's talking to everyone. And he says, I want each of you to be diligent to the very end. Diligence is not a word you even hear much anymore, articulated in vocabulary. It's it's just kind of probably just an old-fashioned word. People used to be diligent. What does diligent even mean? It means just this earnest pursuit, this striving forward, this pushing through. I want you to be diligent and keep pushing through right to the very end. Your life's going to end. And last night in a dream, I literally was preaching this message in my dream. And I was on the stage and I fell to the ground. And Jesus kind of came down and I was at the judgment seat of Christ. And I just was like here in front of you like Jesus was here. And at the end... I just was so aware that someday I'm going to give an account for my life. Did I just get like so distracted with this over here and and do all this stuff over here? Does it really matter in the end? Am I going to be diligent to the end? He's not going to be like, man, you started in your roaring 20s really great. What about flaming out in your 40s? Am I going to have a fiery 50s? In a kick butt 60s? In a just go after it until the end 70s? Or am I just going to be like, well, that's for the youths. That's for the young people. Some of you here are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I am encouraging you today, be diligent to the end. Not to retirement, to the end. There's no mention of retirement in the Bible. None. 
He doesn't want your spirit to retire and you go to a vacate on some endless vacation collecting shells in the Gulf of Mexico somewhere watching Prices Right for the rest of your life. Bob Barker, may he rest in peace. He has called all of us to be diligent to the end. My mom could have given a master class on diligence to the very end. I remember going over to Detroit a couple times a week toward the end of her life just to be with her. And every time I'd go over to her house, she was at the table, had a stack of cards. She's writing all the people and she's starting the cards this way. I'm not going to be here in a couple weeks, but I wanted to say goodbye. Make sure you let some so-and-so know that I love them. I really love you. You're so encouraging to me. It's been so great to have you as a friend. Never forget that the Lord loves you and he's by your... Mom, people are supposed to be writing you cards. I said that one day. You don't have to send out emails. You don't have to let them know, hey, I'm not actually going to be on the planet in two weeks. Want to let you know. This is what she said in one email. If I don't email you back, it's because I'm dead. (laughs) They'll figure that out, Mom. You know what? In her heart, I don't want anybody to think that I didn't answer them back because they weren't valuable. Because if everybody was worth their weight in gold. Everybody was so important. She couldn't stop loving people. And maybe because she sat on that toilet and looked at that verse every day and said, you said it, I believe it. And that settles it for me. The way that I show my love for you is to help people and continue helping people. And she helped people until she breathed her last. I'm not joking. I would go to the house and she would have care boxes all the time that she'd send to people back in Oswego and over at college and somebody in town. And she'd want me to go on a grocery run. She has no money in her bank account, hardly at all. I didn't inherit hardly any money, zero money. I inherited real wealth, real riches. And all the money she had was to go buy things, to put in care packages for people. There was this one woman, Rosanna, Rosanna had no friends. She was connected to my mom's brother at a nursing home. They never got married, but they were kind of a thing in a nursing home. I don't know how that works out, but God love them. They're being diligent to the very end. (laughs) Well, then my brother passed away, so my mom took Rosanna as her own. And Rosanna was blind had no family, had no friends. My mom would help her with finances, would help her with questions, would talk to the assisted living place she was at as just the person that would vouch for her, her spokeswoman. And I remember the week before mom passed away, we knew once she didn't take the certain medicine anymore that she had three to four days and then she wouldn't be alive. So we literally knew how long we had when mom was going to be with us and then when she was going to fade away and four days be gone. It was two days before um, she was going to stop taking the medicine. And uh, I went out on a grocery run and she wanted me to know that all these other you know, items in the box I want you to get, but this one item, she likes uh, butterscotch candies. But if you go to the grocery store and they have butterscotch candies that are sealed on the end because she's blind, she, she can't open them. Her fingers are too nimble. She needs butterscotch candies that you can twist at the end and twist off so that she can eat them. And I'm like, what the world? So I go to a grocery store. They got the sealed ones. I go to another grocery store. They got the sealed ones. Do you f- realize how weird it is for a guy to come into a grocery store, go to the manager and say, I need butterscotch candies, but not just any butterscotch candies. <laughs> I need the ones with the twisty things. And I get to a grocery store and I come back and she puts them in this box and she packages it up with love and sends it off to Rosanna. Again, did this for the last couple years all the time. Love, diligent to the end. It wasn't many months after uh, my mom passed away that Rosanna passed away because my mom's love kept her alive. Do Do you realize, church, that our love keeps people alive. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, when you love them, you keep them alive. 
You probably know at different seasons of your life when someone's love has kept you alive, has made your heart beat again, has given you hope, has made you want to carry on when you wanted to give up. When I was in a season of grief after my mom passed away for about three months, I just felt like my heart was dying, like my vision was gone. Three things hit me. I didn't look forward to the future. I couldn't see the good around me, and I didn't believe people changed. And those things came upon me and seized me, and it was so dark, and there were certain people people that kept coming in even while I was in the dark and they kept me alive with the warmth of their heart. Diligent. Diligent to the very end. Our love keeps people alive, church. Goes on, it says, same diligence to the very end so that what you've hoped for may be fully realized. I love this because I'm a visionary. I was reading through it. I'm like, man, I hope for things. I dream for things. I want things. I wish for things. But I don't want to just be a person that hopes. Well, I hope Monday is better than last Monday, and I hope that happens, and I hope somebody else does it. There's a lot of people that have that cheap hope. The, the word hope here is full assurance. Bold confidence, joyful expectation. When people come to church with expectancy and anticipation and hope, and they believe deep in their bowels that something's going to happen that day, it's more likely something's going to happen. I like to be around people that are hoping and are dreaming. It's so crazy. Like, I even for tonight, I have a dream inside of my head. I have a hope, and it means I'll be disappointed if it doesn't happen, but you gotta still hope and not be like, I don't hope for anything. That way I'm never disappointed. No, I wanna chase after things in such a way that even if I'm disappointed and we fail spectacularly, at least we dared greatly and we're going after something. We're not content with the status quo. We wanna hope for things, church so that they're fully realized. We're hoping for 150 students to go to follow and we got 32. It's gonna happen. And I'm not just manifesting this. I'm trusting God that he wants that more than we do and we're gonna go after it with zeal. I'm trusting that tonight in student ministry, there's gonna be over 100 kids there when last year we had like four leaders that ended off and it was atrophying down and about 12 students coming to high school, they've now got, in the last three months, Jesse's been kind of out there pounding the pavement on the war path, kicking the tires. There's 17 adult leaders just in high school waiting for the kids. There may be more leaders than there are kids, baby, but we're ready for them to come. We can't wait. I'm praying for 100. Can we pray together and get on the hope for train with me? We're hoping for that because what I love more than anything is when something's fully realized, when it's actualized because a group of people are hoping for stuff and they stick with it until it's realized. Last night, I got home. I got a text. They talked about follow. We want 150 kids to go. If you don't have money, then, then don't let that be a deterrent. Please let us know. We'll have scholarships. I have a guy that writes me, and he says, uh, uh, with kids going to follow, I think, um, I think I can afford sending 40 of them. I don't, he doesn't know that it's $400 a piece, but um, no. It, it's literally... Somebody just said, I think I'm going to lay down $15,000 because those kids are getting to that camp. Amen. This, this is what I'm talking about. You, if you never are chasing after anything and, and saying we're going for something bold and we're going to take bold moves to get there, this, all this is cheap hope. Man, I hope I have a good day. Have a good day. Well, I, I just... Hope that happens. I, I hate the phrase lately, boy, that really made my day. Don't wait for something to make your day. Make your own stinking day. The, the other, it was like four weeks ago, I did something awesome in the morning. And I was like, man, that just made my day. And I made my day. I make my own day. And I declare it out loud when I've made my own day. Man, we want to hope for stuff around here and we want to see it fully realized. We're in a building right now and you might not appreciate this, but this was a lot of hope and dreams and it came true and we're debt free. It got fully realized. 
because God and people yoked together and we weren't expecting God to do it and God wasn't expecting us to do it all, we decided to co-labor with God and we saw it come to realization, baby. And when things come to fruition, those are nights that just jack me up to no end. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Your hope will be fully realized when we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's promised. Isn't it interesting he brought up the word lazy? Guess that was around back then too. Anybody here struggle being lazy sometimes? I do. I just kind of want to check out. I want to go home and veg. It's been so hard. I deserve to be rewarded with some vegetation and amusement and entertainment. And maybe, you know, sometimes you can check. I don't, I don't want to be a person that checks out. It's like, we don't want you to become lazy. Lazy is such a strong word. I like to think about it in terms of selective participation. You know, it's like, oh, okay. You know, selective participation, laziness. Like, I, I, I'm not lazy, I just highly motivated to do nothing. You know, it's like, well, that's laziness. And you know how you stop being lazy? To me, the opposite of lazy is hungry. A church that is hungry. I'm around these stud muffins, these guys that are so hungry right now. They are always lighting a fire in my belly and under my butt every day. And if I'm resting on my laurels, these guys that I'm discipling and they're disciple, they don't know it, they're discipling me. They're pushing me, they're spurring me on and I'm trying to imitate them and they're trying to imitate me. Who are you trying to imitate? We're in a world where because of kind of celebrity culture and hero worship, we are always trying to imitate somebody we look up to. Usually it's somebody from Hollywood or sports or some you know, foolish kind of imitation like that. But there are really genuinely good people to imitate so that you can make it to the end and be diligent to the end. Yeah. It's finding those people. It says imitate people that are diligent and faithful and patient. Well, those aren't really things I want to imitate. You know, because we're in a world where, I, I call them cat lovers, it's C-A-T. We're into people in our world that are charismatic, attractive, and talented. That's not in this verse. Charismatic people, they come and go. Attraction, boy, I'm watching that fade away in my own life over the last four years as, you know, I get the T-zone up here and the crow's feet and the wrinkles and my hip is popping out of joint. Went to the physical therapist last week and I got a bum hip. And he's like, what did you do? I was like, it was just a restless night of sleep because I woke up and it was just gone. My body's gonna fade. My attractiveness is gonna fade. My talent is going to fade. My charisma hopefully will never fade, but I'm not going to have the same energy. What I want to do is imitate people to do things that I can do right up to the last day I'm alive. That's being diligent, that's being faithful, and that's being patient. Well, I don't want to be patient. I want to be passionate. Be patient. I don't want to be faithful. I want to be fruitful. Be faithful. I don't want to be, you know, diligent. I want to be dynamite. Be diligent. The other stuff comes and goes, and I watch it in our world. People are just fired up so quickly. They illuminate so quickly, and they die out so quickly. That comes and goes. We have pastors that are out there building the brand. We've got churches trying to be cool. And yes, we've got lights and all this stuff. This doesn't matter to me. I love it because I'm an artist, and I love our artists. I love people. And the thing that makes us shine like stars in the universe is not trying to imitate the whole cat thing, charismatic, attractive, and talented. When the church is diligent and faithful and patient, that's a rare breed of humans on this planet. My mom and dad in church would sing before the sermon in our church, it was called special music. And boy, was it special, some of the people that sang. 
Does anybody remember special music in church? And my mom and dad would sing and they would hold hands behind the pulpit when they would sing. And there was this one song on faithfulness they would sing. Oh, that may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. There's another song they sang, Broken and Spilled Out. It's just the kind of way they live, broken and spilled out for people. And it went broken and spilled out just for love of you, Jesus my most precious treasure lavished on thee broken and spilled out and poured at your feet in sweet abandon let me be used up and poured out for thee God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you've helped his people in this church and continue to help him. Now show diligence to the very end so what you've hoped for will be fully realized. And don't be lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. So God, we give our lives to you afresh today. If we've been out of the games, if we've been on the sidelines, get us on the front lines again. If we've been spectators, make us participators again. If we've been observing around here for a long time, may we move from observing to serving. We give ourselves to you. We want to love you by helping people. Helping people in the household of faith. Make our church a powerful church filled with good people, good and faithful people. That's what you're going to say to people at the end. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. So keep us good and keep us faithful to the very end. And I pray all this because of Jesus who we love, who lived, was buried, who rose again, and is coming again. And until that day, Give us faithfulness till our last breath. We pray this in his name. Amen. I'll see you next week.